Hey there. Welcome to the Cultivating Unique Minds podcast, the podcast for parents, educators, service providers, and anyone who has an interest in learning about and improving the lives of those with exceptionalities at school, at home, and within our communities. I'm your host, Jade Kaiser. My hope for today is to share my experiences, the experiences of others through guest interviews, and knowledge to help parents, educators, and service providers learn how to accept and adapt for our children with exceptionalities. Let's get started. All right, I am so excited about today's episode. This topic that we're going to talk about today is one of the things that I started diving into as soon as I realized that I wanted to partner with parents and work with parents and then work and partner with educators to help teach them special education law. Um, That's one thing that I've recognized in reflecting upon my journey as a special education teacher, that teacher education programs did not do the best job of outlining all the really important parts of the law. We were kind of told that you would have a special education administrator and they'll know the law, but I'm here to tell you that is not the case. In the last two weeks, I've gotten about three calls from parents in Missouri and Illinois asking, I thought that the special education administrator was supposed to know the law, but they had to go check with somebody before they could confirm my rights and my child's rights. And if you're a parent listening or even a teacher listening, please do your due diligence and do your own research and know your rights before you go into a meeting And if you don't know your rights, ask somebody. If the research is overwhelming, ask somebody. Reach out to me. My hope is that some of our episodes will be little snippets of the law and what your rights are. Now, I'm going to add my disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. I'm not anybody's lawyer. But I am here to share what I have learned on my journey and through my research so you can do your due diligence and find an advocate whether it's me or somebody local to you and or a local lawyer to help you navigate this progress. I will say one of my first places that I go and all of the books that I have read based on special education law and rights and regulations is Rights Law, W-R-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-W. This is not a sponsored post. This is nothing sponsored. I will drop some links to my favorite books below in the show notes, but that is my go-to place whenever I have a question because the laws are just organized in a very organized and understandable manner that I can quickly search through what I need, but they have some great reads for parents and educators alike. So let's start with what are your rights as a parent under IDEA law. Now remember, IDEA is the federal law that governs all special education processes in the United States. If you have followed me for any amount of time, you know that I have posted this same or very similar content both on my blog and on my Facebook, probably also on my Instagram. And if you know me personally, I could nerd out over this topic for a very long time. So no matter how your district holds IEP meetings, whether they hold them in the fall, throughout the year, or during the spring, you will likely have an IEP coming up soon. I know a lot of schools are still doing virtual meetings, so that might be happening too. And you're hopefully going to get a notice of meeting in the mail. But when you get that notice of meeting, do you know why you get the notice of meeting? 
And do you know what your rights are before you walk in that door to that IEP meeting or log on to that Zoom meeting? IEP meetings can be intimidating and stressful. Depending on how many people are present at the meeting, it's easy to feel alone. However, as your child's parent and best advocate, you are the one who knows them best. And it's so, so vital that you know your rights, their rights under IDEA or the Individuals with Disability Act. So in 2004, when IDEA was revised, Section E was included and consequently called the Procedural Safeguards, and this outlines your protections as a parent, and you should be receiving a copy of your Procedural Safeguards every single year. Now, I have worked in districts where I have given them to parents at open house. I have given them to parents when I sent home the notice of meeting, and I have also had meetings where we give them to them at the beginning of the meeting. I don't necessarily think there's a right or a wrong way to give procedural safeguards. I do think they should be given ahead of time, but legally, as long as you're receiving them, that is what matters in the eyes of the law. So let's talk about what your rights are under those procedural safeguards. So the ones that we're going to cover today are the right to review and inspect your child's educational records, the right to participate in meetings related to the identification, evaluation, and placement of your child and the arrangement of FAPE, which is free and appropriate public education, the right to receive prior written notice, right to give or deny consent, and with that, the right to disagree and or appeal decisions made by the district in regards to your child's IEP and programming. So we're going to dive a little deeper into each of those, but still, we're just barely scratching the surface of a lot of these. So first up, right to educational records. You might wonder what's in your child's educational file. Educational files should include any IEPs, evaluations, parent contact logs, and disciplinary actions. Each file should also have a log showing who accessed the file and when. Depending on your district, these files could be housed in the school building or at the district office. And as your child gets older, your child might acquire a large file with their IEP and other pertinent information. And if at any reason you misplace a copy of an evaluation or IEP and you have questions regarding it later, you have the right to access your child's school file and use what is in that file to clarify your concerns. So, the last episode we talked about how to get ready for uh, back to school and making your IEP binder. If you listened to that and you were like, man, I don't have those old IEPs, you can request access to those IEPs because this is your right. And you also have a right under the Freedom of Information Act. So you have rights in two places that you should be able to get access to your child's educational records. The next one is the right to participate in meetings. So prior to Each IEP meeting, the district will send you a notice of meeting, or they should. Depending on your state, the notice may have to be a certain number of days before. For example, in Missouri, the notice should be 10 days or more prior to the meeting, unless other arrangements have been made and you have agreed to waive the 10-day notice. The procedural safeguards don't directly say what reasonable time is, but they do say that parents have a right to participate and that parents should be notified ahead of time. This safeguard ensures you're not only invited, but you have some adequate notice and also ensure you have the opportunity to provide input at the meeting, ask questions, share your concerns about anything related to your child's plan, and or bring whoever you want to with your meeting. So 
you have a right to bring whoever you want to participate in the meetings with you, whether that is a family member, an outside service provider, an advocate, an educational consultant, a lawyer, whoever, you have the right to bring those people. The only person that you have to give notice to bring is a lawyer. And that is so if you are there with legal representation, the district can also be there with legal representation. With that, you will also have to sign off that any information the district shared is allowed to be shared with that person. Um, But it can be whoever you want. It could be your neighbor. It could be your sister who's a special education teacher, your best friend. But it can be anybody you need there to support you during this process. And the next one is you have a right to receive prior written notice. So at the close or typically at the close of an IEP meeting, you might be shown a piece of paper. You might even have been asked to sign a paper that outlines the proposed changes to your child's IEP. This is the formal way of sharing changes that are being made for that IEP cycle, but it also there's a, typically a box you can check and or you can sign to implement the plan the following day or typically you wait 10 days before those changes are in place. So you can either waive the 10 days or you can just let it go into effect in 10 days. So this allows you 10 days to think over those proposed changes and challenge them if you want to. There are only a few extenuating circumstances where the notice might need to be signed and enacted immediately but most of the time you can wait the 10 days without any issue. But regardless, you always have the right to wait 10 days. Next up is the right to consent. And along with this, I'm gonna pair these together is the right to disagree. So looking back at that right to prior written notice, you have the ability to consent or deny consent on any changes to your child's IEP. If multiple changes are made, you can always agree with some and disagree with others. You can revoke consent to services. You have the right to do that at any time. So one of the things that's come up lately with a few clients is, is an IEP an all or nothing offer? And it's not. Based on the readings that I've interpreted, an IEP is not all or nothing. I will tell you that's still controversial. And there are times that I'm still not for sure. It's a, it's a gray area. Let's just put it that way. Maybe it's not controversial, but it's a, it's a very gray area. But in most cases that I have been a part of, the IEP does not have to be all or nothing. Um, If you're getting outside speech and language therapy from a private provider and you're going to continue that therapy and you don't want your child to miss certain parts of their day being pulled for speech and language therapy, you don't have to consent to speech and language therapy through the school. That's just one example that I can think of off the top of my head. But you also have the right to consent with the changes of goals. You can revoke consent if they're trying to dismiss services too. So that's when that also comes into a play. And with that, when you revoke consent or when you disagree with the district's presentation of services, you have the right to disagree and that can mean a number of things. So you can disagree and table the meeting and reconvene. If you can't come to an agreement, you can request mediation, due process, or file a complaint with your state. If you choose to disagree with your district, um, you can table the meeting, and then if you didn't bring an advocate or legal representation with you to that meeting, you can table the meeting and request a new meeting and then bring whoever you need to bring with you to that meeting. So when I say right to disagree and do mediation or due process, those might be more extreme situations, but you can always table the meeting and come back to it with, you know, a, somebody in your corner, a support system, an advocate, an educational consultant, or if it is getting more serious, legal representation. 
So that was a very brief overview of the procedural safeguards and your rights as a parent of a child with an exceptionality. And if you are an educator listening to this, I think it's super important that you know these rights too, because these rights affect how you interact with parents and ensure that you're following the timelines that you're bound by. And if you don't know those timelines of your, the federal timelines and or your state timelines, because some states have shorter and stricter timelines, it's really important that you know that. And also if parents have questions or parents don't understand, you are the person who should be explaining that to them too, in my opinion. And this Again, this is one of the ways that I kind of got on this path that I'm on because I recognized parents were not understanding their rights. And it didn't matter what area I was in, whether it was low socioeconomic, whether it was a more affluent area, it didn't matter what the demographics were. Parents were just not aware that they had these rights because they were handed this paper every year and nobody ever told them what was on this paper. So when I started researching and talking to more and more families and parents and realized that some of the most highly educated individuals weren't aware of these rights and had never read them. And then of course, you know, some of our families in our low socioeconomic areas who are working two or three jobs to make ends meet, they get this piece of paper, they don't have time to read it. Not that they're not capable, but they just don't have time to read it. And so they need somebody to be in their corner and, you know, explain some things to them. And that's our job as teachers, I believe. So just something to think about as you head into back to school year, whether you're a teacher, related service provider, or a parent, something to be aware of. But I hope that this was helpful in condensing what the procedural safeguards are and what your rights are as a parent. And as always, if this doesn't cover what you were looking for, you need something a little more in depth, find me on social, shoot me an email, drop a review on the podcast. Um, Let me know what you're looking for. Let me know what you want more of or send me an email. I'm so happy you decided to join me on this journey today as I share and reach parents and educators worldwide. I hope that you found something in today's episode that you can apply in your practice as a parent, educator, or service provider. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Cultivating Unique Minds, Facebook at Kaiser Educational Consulting and Advocacy, our private Facebook group, Positive Behavior Learning Support for Autism and Special Needs Parents, and our website at jadekaiser.com. We also have learning resources for parents and teachers on both Teachers Pay Teachers and Etsy at Cultivating Unique Minds. If there's a specific topic or idea that you would like me to go over, something that's confusing in the IEP process, maybe you're a new special education teacher or parent, drop me a note in the podcast review or on social media and I will add that to the list and I may reach out to you and ask for more info about what you're looking for. Again, thank you so much for listening and joining me here today and I look forward to connecting with you all on socials and I can't wait to share the next podcast with you. Talk to you soon.